A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP of Data Mesh Consulting Services at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading sponsor for Trino, the open source project, and Jamak's Data Mesh book, delivering data-driven value at scale. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Tim Gasper, VP of product at Data.World and the co-host of the Catalog and Cocktails podcast. We covered two main topics, a skeptic's view of data mesh and Tim and the Data.World's team's ABCs of data products framework. Let's start with the skeptic side. So skeptics have a few main pushback on data mesh and Tim's view. First one being data mesh isn't for everyone based on size or kind of complexity of what what data you're dealing with. The second one being tooling doesn't exist. Is that yet or won't exist to make it easy for domains to easily take over data ownership and just in general to do data mesh. Number three, there shouldn't be anyone who quote unquote owns the data. Number four, there aren't enough case studies out there yet of people doing data mesh, especially people who have been successful. Number five, not clear guidance on how to handle the combination of data across domains. You know, how does that ownership work? And number six, data mesh will create data silos. So let's go down the list one by one and talk about kind of some of the points Tim had made, as well as some things that in general are kind of coming up in the data mesh community as to kind of pushbacks against these pushbacks. <laughs> so the first one, data mesh isn't for every organization, depending on size, number of domains, the data slash problem space complexity. You know, Tim said this, I've said this probably 30 plus times on the podcast so far. Jamak has said this, literally almost everybody who is pro data mesh, who's a data mesh advocate has said this other than maybe some vendors trying to sell to people doing data mesh. 
this is one of the myths of data mesh, that it's designed for everyone. Data mesh isn't for everyone. If you don't have these problems that would cause you to actually need to go to data mesh, don't go to data mesh. Don't do it for the sake of doing it. (laughs) Much like distributed systems, people will tell you, don't distribute your systems unless necessary. Don't go to a decentralized data setup if you don't need to. Tim made the very good point, though, that we need more conversations and better guidance on like how to actually measure and how to think if centralization of your data team and processes is what's actually causing your challenges. Is that becoming the bottleneck or is it something else like your overall culture, your data culture, your architectural setup, your level of, of data literacy, et cetera? So the second pushback was the tooling doesn't exist yet to make doing data mesh easy. We talked about how a big conceptual issue of data mesh is that it has to solve every data problem, even the most difficult, right out of the gate. It's just not true. Tim mentioned that your implementation needs to really think about self-service being empowerment, not necessarily a big red easy button. And your implementation will evolve. It must evolve for this to be successful. Yes, the tooling to make data modeling easy for application developers isn't there yet, nor is really the governance tooling. The data catalog space is really just starting to emerge here. Data discovery tooling in general, it's all kind of still early days. It wouldn't be bleeding edge if there weren't some bleeding, if there weren't some pain. You're going to cut yourself because this is so forward-leaning that if you're doing it now, you kind of have to accept that. If you aren't willing or honestly capable at this point to build a lot of the data mesh plumbing yourself, okay, you can jump in later. It's not like data mesh is leaving the station and you either get on now or you can't ever do data mesh. It's fine to say it's not for us right now and it might be in the future. Number three, there shouldn't be a quote unquote owner of data. Tim made a really good point here on accountability to sharing your data versus the kind of fiefdom thinking. You know, in that fiefdom thinking, someone has complete control over how the data is used. Yes, someone shouldn't be able to prevent other domains from using their data, you know, in general. There might be some governance cases and things like that, but in general, but having that model isn't data mesh anyway, right? It's not what data mesh really uh, ascribes to. So if you're doing that, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Why would you make data reusable and discoverable if people can't use it or discover it? That's putting out a sign that says free cake and then not actually letting people have the cake. Why would you do that? I want the cake. Number four was not enough case studies on data mesh of people doing data mesh well and what's been kind of the results. Tim mentioned this briefly uh, in the episode, but I I fully agree with this one. But if we wait for people to be done with their journeys, it'll probably be another five years. You know, Max Schultze at Zalando is pretty far down the path. They're over two years in. And he said, "Eh, we're about 25% of the way through our journey, right? If you want to wait until there are those, those case studies, go ahead. But when you think about data mesh, it's are you an explorer or are you a settler? It's fine to be the settler, but the explorers get the stories told about them. You know, Gold Rush is probably a bad analogy because of how many people were were negatively impacted by it. But, you know, if there's a rush, do you want to be there first or do you want to get there when everything is settled and there's no longer that kind of 
big, big value creation there. It's something that you're more easily able to implement, but are you going to see the same kind of returns? Are you going to be that much further ahead of your competitors? It's something to think about. I'm not saying do one or the other. Number five, lacking guidance on exactly how to cross domain data, how to do those those cross-domain data combinations. Tim mentioned that there is the question of how do those combinations get managed? Right now in a data warehouse or a data lake world, there are clear owners, the, the data team. But in data mesh, is that a new you know, aggregate domain? Is that a consumer aligned domain? You know, do you have that still on a centralized team like Adavinta is doing? I think this is one of the vague points in data mesh that, that is actually intentional. You have to figure this out for yourself. It's situational. There isn't a cookie cutter approach to this. Number six, data mesh will create data silos. Sure, if you have the data mart kind of model concept of old where data is only created only for the domains themselves to use. 80% or so of the guests on the podcast have recommended doing kind of two plus data products across different domains as part of your proof of concept. So you understand how to do that interoperability, how to do that. You can build muscle and figure out how to do this just like the response to kind of push back number five, right? You can learn how to do this. It's not that you have to have everything laid out ahead of time for you. Tim talked about how important iteration and collaboration is to prevent data silos. So much is about the intent to not let it become a problem. And if you really focus on that, it probably won't be. Overall, we agreed on a lot of the pushbacks are probably coming from a place of like where somebody's in an organization where data mesh would create a lot of friction in their existing culture. And and as Tim said, changing culture is very hard and quote unquote, fixing culture is even harder. And as Tim's colleague Juan Cicada mentioned on his episode, data mesh is often an exercise in finding where you should fall on the centralization, decentralization spectrum for a whole lot of different decisions, right? There isn't that cookie cutter approach and people have to be kind of comfortable with that if they're going to try and implement. Tim talked about how we too often think about data implementations, whether macro at something like even the data mesh implementation level or something more micro like at a data product level as, as a singular event, something that's once going to happen and that doesn't evolve. You know, data implementations aren't a house. They're much more like a garden. Seasons change. You might have to weed a little bit or a lot, <laughs> some of the places I've been. You might even change what the focus of your garden is. Are you sick of zucchini? Is this data product or this report slash dashboard no, no longer relevant, right? Think about that as something that that is not just a one-off and that this can't ever evolve. Set yourself up for that evolution as you learn so that it can improve. We transitioned into the data product ABCs framework that Tim and the team at data.world put together. There's a link in the show notes. An important aspect of this framework is that like much of data mesh, it isn't about providing specific answers, but more the questions you must answer for your situation to get to a good outcome. A key point Tim made at the end was just how many data challenges come from implicit expectations and knowledge you know, versus getting very explicit to make sure everybody is on the same page. 
you know, Tim basically summed it up in kind of a way of get in the room, negotiate, come to a conclusion and shake hands and then document it so that it's not implicit for anyone that there is an explicit documentation of, of what you're trying to accomplish. So the ABC's framework for data products. A is for accountability. Who owns the data product? And what does ownership specifically mean? B is for boundaries. What, what is a data product? What interfaces does it use? And, and crucially, what isn't a data product? And, and also, what isn't part of a specific data product? You know, What are the very specific boundaries around data products in general? And then what are the specific boundaries around each one? C is for contracts. What are the explicit expectations? Who can use it? What are the SLAs? You know, we've talked about data contracts a lot on this podcast. Abe Gong mentioned in his episode number 65, how often these contracts at least start as implicit. Let's get to communicating and negotiating and, and really get this too explicit. D is for downstream. Who actually uses the data product? Who might want to use it? And, and kind of why are they using it? And why might they want to use it? What is the roadmap? E is for explicit knowledge, partially because A, B, C, D, K doesn't sound as good. <laughs> exactly what we've been discussing in this you know, entire episode, don't, don't believe your, your data products are self-describing. Document things, explain what, what are the relationships to other data products or concepts outside the data product. Really get explicit. Put that down so people can be on the same page. So many of our challenges are, again, because of implicit expectations or knowledge. Get it down so people can understand it and can collaborate more effectively. And, and even if they don't get it immediately from the documentation or, or whatever, they can get to the right person who does and they, they can ask much better questions. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very, very excited for this episode here today. I've got Tim Gasper, who's the VP of product at Data.Worlds and also the co-host of the Catalog and Cocktails podcast. Um, and what we're going to be talking about today is, so uh, Tim and, and his co-host Juan had done an episode about Data Mesh on Catalog and Cocktails. And this is why I, uh, I had originally reached out to Tim to talk about, he, he took on the role of the Data Mesh skeptic. And we've talked about this and he's, you know, he's positive on the data mesh. I'm positive on the data mesh, but we're both skeptics as well. Like there are specific things that we haven't figured out and that need to get figured out. And there are um, caveats, there are drawbacks, there are different things where data mesh isn't necessarily the right choice. It's not, um, it's not fully baked yet. We've all kind of talked about that. That's a big thing. So um, and then we're going to also move into data.world uh, had put out a kind of framework for thinking about, about data mesh in general, their ABCDE framework, um, which I guess the F is the framework, but <laughs> <laughs> um, 
with that, uh, Tim, if you don't mind giving people a little bit of an intro to kind of your background, and then we can jump into the uh, topics at hand. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, Scott, so much for for having me on the show. Big fan of the Data Mesh Radio uh, podcast, and um, um, you know Juan and I over at the Catalog and Cocktails podcast really love like this this community of data oriented podcasts that we have going on here. This is this is a lot of fun. Uh, I think uh, I think this information is so helpful uh, to the community. Um, and uh, yeah, um, you know, thanks for the introduction, Scott. Uh, VP of Product over at Data uh, a co host over at Catalog and Cocktails. I've been over in the uh, the data and analytics space for probably 13 or 14 years now as a product manager working in, you know, data, working in uh, customer identity management, um, and, uh, you know, now over at data.world in cataloging and, and governance. And, um, and yeah, this, this is a super interesting topic, right? This idea that, um, you know, not, not only are we trying to figure out sort of what data mesh is, how it can be valuable, but also, you know, where, where are its pitfalls? Where, where is it not applicable? Um, you know, there are some naysayers out there who are very much like what what's this data mesh right this is this is the new sensational you know sort of like hype thing um you know here's all the reasons why it's wrong and uh, you should just throw that out of uh, the old way is the right way or this other way is the right way uh, and this is an important topic for us not just to dispel myths but also to embrace the the skeptical points of view that actually are good and accurate skeptical points of view <laughs> And and I think that's the the fun uh, differentiating point. I think there are a lot of skeptics who think that their um, point of view is immediately correct, and it's like no, like there are questions, like have have those questions. So, um, right. and I'm seeing especially from the data warehousing folks. I think I'm going to write a, a, an article on this of why I think the data warehousing folks specifically, or the enterprise data warehouse folks, right? Like mm-hmm. data warehousing as a uh, as a practice is still alive and well. Look at Snowflake, right? But the enterprise data warehouse, it's just got these these kind of fatal flaws when you're looking at flexibility and scalability. And like, if, you, if you're not able to change what you're sharing very easily and very quickly, because everything has to conform to a single model or maybe two models, it means that you lose all of your context. So... Uh, <laughs> I, I could go on and on, but let, let's talk about what, what are the viewpoints that you think of when you think of um, valid skepticism that, that comes relative to data mesh? Yeah, great question. And I, I think there's a few areas that we can look at around some of the skepticism here, some which I think are easier to dispel and some which I think are more valid, right? Uh, and so one of them that I think is is more valid, and it's an interesting talking point. I know, Scott, we've talked about this, is sort of like the size of organization, right? That there are some organizations that maybe are smaller, maybe you're a startup, maybe your data ecosystem is much simpler, right? Um, and, uh, you know, uh, one skeptical perspective is, is like, well, wh- why do I need a data mesh? Like, why, why would I need to have these different domains and push ownership to these different domains or have like a microservices architecture here where my data is pretty simple. I just got a couple of data sources or maybe it's, you know, I'm a product company and I've got this event data and I just need to stick it in my warehouse and I need to pop some dashboards on it. It's like, do I really need a data mesh? And, you know, perhaps a very valid perspective here is like, well, there's certainly, you know, valuable concepts around thinking about like data as a product and thinking about how do you establish ownership around your data and really accountability around your data. But maybe you don't need a data mesh if you're a small company, right? Yeah, I think I think that's the the big one that I, I push back on the most is is 
I even think that it's not like a, a 200 person company. I think if you're at a thousand person company, there, there are a couple of, of interesting um, niches that could, you know, require you to have a, a data mesh. I've talked to a couple of people who they're a, a roll-up company. So not fruit roll-ups, but <laughs> they're going out and buying a whole bunch of different companies. And so that that ability to have um, these different companies not try and integrate everybody into the exact same format and that everybody can share their data in an appropriate way. But then you're not really necessarily even talking about the interoperability versus, again, it's that ownership and that there is ownership of the data matters. We have to think about how we're sharing data and how we're consuming it. But do you need to build the self-service platform? Do you need to fully, you know, do you need to move away from the decentralized data team versus centralization has benefits until it doesn't, right? It's right. it's a bottleneck once it's a bottleneck. But at, to start, if you're pouring out a small amount of water, the bottleneck isn't a problem. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a feature, right? Right. Like well, it, it means you've got checks on and balances and all sorts of things in place. You've got expertise around data so that every domain doesn't have to develop that expertise. Right. No, I, I think that's that's totally right. And and I, I think that there, there are certain pains, right, that trigger you being like, oh, wow, this, this centralized approach is not working right. Like, right, that's where you, if you have a couple of data engineers, you have a couple of data analysts, and you actually find that um, that, that centralized team kind of building out your warehouse, your modern data stack, kind of however it is that you think about your smaller company or your startup kind of architecture here, or maybe it's just within a single department, let's say. Um, maybe that centralized team is working out well for you. And actually, it's efficient and it's effective, right? And there's no need necessarily to break something that's working. Uh, it's when you start to find that the data engineers are becoming a bottleneck or that the data analysts don't understand the data and they're constantly having to ping the different domains and the application owners to understand what's going on. Or they're constantly having to do tons of cleaning and cleansing and reworking of the data in order to get it into a form that people can actually be able to leverage. That's when maybe you start to say, hmm, like, do I need a data mesh or not? I don't know, right? Like, think about that really, truly. Um, but there's certainly something that you need to think about now in terms of how do we get more of that responsibility pushed out up to those applications? How do we actually kind of break past these bottlenecks that we have in place? And that, you know, I mean, shared ownership models always are uh, come with their own issues and things. But, you know, one of the, the biggest issues that I see when I'm talking to, to people is, the domains or the the product side or whatever you want to call kind of the people that traditionally have have just had data be exhaust and haven't had to have that ownership a lot of them just don't even know how their data is being used you know chris ricamini's episode at, when he was talking about what happened at WePay, people would drop a column and you know their their cicd service would you know kind of flag it and go hey people are using this column and that person would have no idea Right. So we need to get to a place, you know, I, I hate trying to solve everything with tooling. You know, I think I think we all kind of do. I think the people who really understand <laughs> these problems, tools are helpful. Right. You're, you're at a tool company. I'm at a tool company. Tools are helpful, but they aren't the solution. But, you know, they th we need better tooling and practices around making it so that they can understand what impacts their their changes will happen. But we don't. We, we keep treating that the product is the only 
thing that matters in so many companies that the, um, you know, or the application level is the only thing that matters. And so we have to get out of that mindset. Does that mean we have to move to, you know, you've got a, a team of three software developers and, you know, you've got a monolith. Do you really need to to have them fully own and learn how to do all of the data modeling and all of the, no, not really. You can get them kind of understanding what people are using their data for and things like that. But yeah, yeah, I, th- yeah. I think I, I am very skeptical of that size of domain issue, right? Like of where people or size of, of company and, and number of domains and all that. Like if you're not having the the problems of complexity, why do this? Right? right. Like just put in better people process side, not the full, uh, you know, difficult implementation. There's things that you can do to really help yourself that don't necessarily require you to jump sort of head first or, or fully into data mesh. And, and I think your point, Scott, around uh, tools in it is an interesting one, because I, I think this is another, uh, you know, moving on to a second sort of skeptical point is around, um, well, you know, my domains, like, okay, cool. The idea of like empowering domains and things like that, that sounds interesting. But, you know, uh, I've heard a skeptical point that like, oh, well, the domains don't have the data a sort of tooling capability or, you know, they don't have, uh, you know, the data developers that could actually, you know, develop this sort of, you know, products within the domains or ownership in the domains. That's a centralized skill. Uh, me trying to push that to the domains would be, that would be silly. That would be difficult, right? I, I hear that as one thing that, that people are challenged with. Um, uh, curious about your, your thoughts on that. I certainly have a couple opinions on like where, where that's valid and maybe where it's not. I'd, I'd love to hear you you start first. You know, yeah, I don't, sure. don't want to be I don't want to be leading uh, on all of these. I think you've got a very valid uh, point, and you probably actually talk to almost as many people as I do about data mesh, right? Yeah, being a VP of product. No, absolutely. So I mean, so on on this particular thing around tooling, I think that. I think what people don't always appreciate, and one of the things that you know we talk to some of our customers at at Data.World is, you know, you want to have this interplay between the self-service tooling and the empowerment. And that's one of the things that I really like about the data mesh framework is that it's not just about one thing or another. It's about the interplay of these different pillars together. Um, and so, for example, you know, data lake and data warehouse uh, technology, right? How do you make that really accessible and easy for different groups to use? Um, you know, tools like Snowflake, for example, have done a great job of really democratizing and lowering the barrier to getting a warehouse going, right? And being able to have multiple warehouses going that uh, that can work in conjunction. Um, catalogs have been important to really lower the barrier to being able to to find data to sort of have a place to be able to put data products and communicate about data products. And so I think when you think about empowering domains, when you combine it with this self-service tooling, again, it's not all about the technology, right? It's people in process, of course, that's very key to this. But when you combine people, process, and technology together here, you can actually empower domains uh, different business groups to take on more responsibility around the data and to leverage the self-service tooling in the in, in the timing that makes sense for the groups that make sense, right? It's not all or nothing. Some groups can take on more ownerships and some things can stay more centralized. Um, but that, you know, the interplay of technology and the people in process is really important here. Yeah. And I think, so there's a lot of, of things that 
maybe weren't exactly explicit in what you said, but I think are incredibly important because like these are the ones that I find are really hidden in these conversations of people who have talked to, to people that are going down this route, right? One is you don't have to get to the most complicated, complex data products from day one, right? Like uh, I had uh, an episode about um, the whether you should embed a data engineer or analytics engineer in your domain or not. And I think it, it gets you to a place where it's, it's much, um, you can have much more complex data products much quicker, but do they become that single point of failure if they're the single data product developer, right? Versus are they teaching everybody, but if you're, teach, if you're putting somebody into a domain to teach everybody to do the job that you're doing currently, <laughs> that's kind of a, a rough spot to put somebody in. Uh, you know, I don't have, that's not really a high empathy role of I'm replacing myself. Uh, so what, what do I do after I, I teach everybody to do this? But like that, talking to nav and talking to talk desk and a lot of these companies that are in that kind of smaller or less necessarily complex needs they're doing a data product is a table or a view right it's not a full data set it's not that so you can evolve your complexity but relative to your needs right totally totally agree with that and you know and and depending on what makes sense for your organization, you may approach it differently. Like, you know, one, uh, one of our customers is a uh, Prologis, really large logistics organization, uh, real estate, warehousing, right? Uh, and for them, data products is what they call building blocks. And they're like tables or semantic concepts or, you know, a particular transformation. And it's, it's quite granular. And that's sort of the way that they're approaching those data products. It's what works for them. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, we work with a really, really large consultancy, global consultancy. Uh, and for them, data products are quite literally like there is a data set of multiple tables that, you know, either has been purchased or has been derived that is used for client needs. Right. And it's that that's what data products means to them. And things that are upstream of that are that's the supply chain that gets you to the data products. So, you know, what, what, what makes sense is what makes sense. Yeah. And, and I think when you talked about giving domains the capabilities and the, um, you know, that empowerment, you know, uh, Jessica Kerr or Jessitron, her episode of, uh, of Data Mesh Radio, she was talking about like, we need to get to a place where this is easy for them. And the tooling isn't really there in a lot of cases right now. But it's, again, you, you can evolve towards that. You can see what are the things that, that really matter for folks, right? Of do we need this to be that, the to, that we drop in the tooling and it solves versus like, hey, we're having difficulty with X, Y, Z. Uh, okay, then let's do it manually or let's do it. Um, or, or, you know, okay, we're going to have the data engineering team handle this for now as we build out the tooling or, you know, a, a lot of this stuff. It is that that if you're looking to just solve it by purchasing, you're going to struggle, but you're going to have that no matter what, like just throwing tools at things doesn't ever work. <laughs> and, you know, having your, your evolutionary path, I think, uh, matters, but like, yeah, I, I, I constantly run across the, um, the lack of tools as being like a big, big 
detractor to data mesh. And it's like, yeah, we if if that is your viewpoint right now, it's fine to wait, right? Like it's not that this is you jump on this bandwagon or it's leaving the station. This is this train is leaving the station. No, like presumably this is going to be around for decades, right? Like right. this this until we can get to a place where we actually can have that kumbaya of um, operational and analytical in the same plane. We're just not there from a complexity standpoint right now to kind of treat all of the uh, operational use cases and analytical use cases from the same data products and things. It's just too complex right now. But right. Um, I think that's kind of beyond the data mesh. And I think that's, you know, 15 years down the road once we figured out how to do this well. But right. I mean, what, yeah, once we figured it all out, I, I have a feeling you will be able to sort of buy the key components that that allow you to to build out your data mesh in sort of a more plug and play fashion. Right. But I think that right now I, I really believe strongly and I know you you push this and really everyone who's sort of leading the data mesh community right now pushes this like you're not buying a data mesh. There's no like one tool that you're going to buy and you're going to plug in and it's going to empower the data mesh. And I think that also is something that feeds the skeptics a bit because they they look at something like the, the logical data warehouse and they're like, oh, okay, cool. I plug in my warehouse. I plug in my, you know, my virtualization layer. And uh, this is this, this is my warehouse here. Right. And then I apply my modeling concepts, things like that. Right. Um, I think some folks are wanting to figure out like, oh, mesh. So that's that's a catalog, right? Or, oh, mesh, that's that's a virtualization tool. So I got to buy myself, a, you know, a virtualization capability. And then that's my mesh, right? And it's like, oh, hold on now. Like, I, I think you're oversimplifying this and you're taking too much of a technology perspective on it. Yeah, we, if you're trying to solve it via technology, that's what we've been doing for 50 years. And in certain circumstances, it's worked relatively well for a few companies. But in 90%, 95%, people have been struggling with their data for for five decades, right? So why do we keep the definition of insanity of throwing tooling at the problem instead of saying, like, let's think about how we could actually do this in a scalable way? And tools matter, right? Like they really, really do matter. And we don't want people to have to build everything themselves. But yeah, exactly what you're talking about. So, yeah. uh, so we've covered a, a couple. Do you have um, any that you think are the the ones that are really, really valid? Or I mean, I think the tooling one is valid for certain companies if they're if they're not at a maturity level where they can build that glue in between, right? Like if they if you can't build the glue between the tooling and understand and extend your tooling, you don't have the team capabilities or you don't have the headcount or anything like that to do that. Data mesh isn't for you right now. And that's fine. Start working on the ownership, the people process side, but you don't have to go full data mesh. You're, you're going to be in a better spot if you can establish data ownership and data practices, but you don't have to go full data mesh right away. Uh, totally. Yeah. You know, I think, Scott, there's a couple of points that I think are very valid, but I think skeptics think that they're very incompatible with data mesh, but I'm... Uh, I'm, I, I feel like they actually can work together if you're thinking about it in a broad enough way. And so one, one of those things is this concept of ownership of data <clears throat> and the idea that there, I, there isn't ownership of data or there shouldn't be ownership of data. Um, you know, and I, I think about like uh, comments that folks like uh, Doug Laney, for example, will get into where he'll say things like, you know, uh, I get the concept of letting data owners control access to data, um, but within an organization, you know, data should be an enterprise asset. It is not owned by any individual or department. Um, 
And I think that that's trying to kind of uh, push the idea that data mesh is saying that you have to have explicit owners of the data and that domains must be defined. Those domains own the data. Um, and I, I get that criticism. I get that criticism that like, yeah, like if one group is the domain for the data, um, then, you know, it shouldn't be that that one domain uh, gets to dictate uh, to the rest of the organization sort of how their their sort of their product is, you know, their data products are going to be used, how their data is going to be leveraged, that really what you want are is sort of the free flow of this information and while there might be accountability around the data, you don't necessarily want this sort of the, the one product manager in the one domain to um, rain down on the parade of other parts of the organization that could really benefit from and use that data. Um, so I think that's a very valid concern. Now, I, I think that the way that you mitigate that is you don't let there like be these sort of fiefdoms that form, right? You don't you, like you, I think if you've implemented a data mesh in a way where you've reinforced silos and you've made governance harder, not easier, and you haven't embraced that principle of interoperability and standards and actually trying to create value from your data, then you're doing it wrong. And that's not the way that you should be implementing your data mesh. So I think it's a very valid concern, but I think that we, you know, in the data mesh community got to make sure that that's not the result. That's not the outcome that we're driving for. And, and I think there there's some really obnoxious nuance in that <laughs> of so like if you listen to Sarita Baxt episodes from JP Morgan Chase right she's mm -hmm. um kind of leading their governance charge for their data mesh so pretty big complicated role at a a big bank that's heavily regulated you know so data owners should be able to dictate how data is used in a governance fashion right and but what she talked about as well was that you know when you federate that governance, I, I think the big the big thing that I, I really think is underlying a lot of of what he's talking about here. Um, and you know I'm, I'm not a huge fan of of Doug based on some of the uh, <laughs> the uh, you could call it trolling. I wouldn't even uh, give it that uh, benefit of the doubt. But um, that there's a lot of people that are very afraid that if we open this up, that it's, it's chaos and that there's, you know, that we don't have any governance left and that, you know, everybody then just gets to do whatever they want with the data and you're opening yourself up to a lot of risk. And I think that we need to have that accountability and we need to, but we need to enable that governance via the platform whenever possible, right? The self-serve platform isn't for consumers. It isn't for producers. It's for both. Right. When I ask, right. is the self-serve platform for producers or consumers? The answer should be yes. Right. Because it's for both. And so like if if you do have somebody who's saying like this is the only interpretation, that's bad versus this is the we're, we're sharing with you how we view the world. We're sharing our context. Do with that what you will. Right. If you're if you're completely misinterpreting it and we see that we're going to come and tell you that you're misinterpreting it. And that's fine because we're sharing our context, but I'm not coming and saying, well, you use this in this way that I never thought of. And that's wrong. If you don't have if you don't have the ability for that serendipity, um, you know, uh, my my executive sponsor at Datastax uh, calls me a serendipity engine because I just go out there and create random, you know, like even just this data mesh community, it was supposed to be a two week thing for me. 
and it's, you know, we're going on 14 <laughs> months, that 14 days. Um, so like, I, I think we, we, you, you bring up a really good point, but it, it's one of those where I think people are, are skeptical for the sake of being skeptical because they haven't seen it work. And it's like, well, right. but it can, if we just have the people in the right way. So well, and the, the see at work is actually one of maybe two more skeptical points that that uh, that I'll mention here. So, you know, I think there's a valid statement that there aren't enough case case studies of of data mesh, right? There aren't enough examples of it really sort of in the wild working. I think I think we're starting to see more of that, right? And and you've had a, a few of those on on your show, right? Um, but I think folks want to see that working in action. So I think that I think that is a valid piece of skepticism here, and and. And sort of the last item of skepticism here that I think is is very valid that um, honestly, I'm still thinking about I'm still piecing through what it means in the context of data mesh is um, is that there is a ton of interesting sort of uh, analysis and uh, data value that comes from. Uh, you know, I don't want to call it the data lake or data warehouse approach, but like the 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 bringing of the data together and the and the and the combining and the analysis of the data when it's in combination across the domains. I think kind of what data mesh you know thinks of as sort of these uh, you know either aggregated domains or in some cases consumption domains, right? Um, and you know, you think about the history being important there, time series data, um, you know, time slices of data, being able to, um, you know, combine your customers with your with your support data, with this data, with that data. Um, you know, how how should a company go about managing these sort of in-between domains? Does that stay centralized? Do you try to empower that to two domains? I think things get kind of complicated there, and and that's an area of sort of valid skepticism where I think today in more of a centralized model, it becomes clear sort of how you approach that. In a data mesh model, it becomes a lot more complicated. Yeah, and, and well, on the case studies, yes, anybody who's out there doing it, you need to be sharing what you're doing, even if you don't think you're very far along the path. Everybody, you need to be talking about this, right? Like yeah, war stories, if, get them out there. If, if we're just doing this in the dark, it's going to take an extra three years. So get out there and share, you know, you're, you're going to have some scars, you're going to have some warts, it's fine. Everybody understands that. Um, but yes, on, on, the, on that, I think that's a really interesting point. Because the way that people have consumed data historically has been as just a report consumer, right? And so in the new world, you know, I, I'm not a, a fan of the citizen data scientist, but in the new world, we're going to have people that still want that. Just tell me what it means. Tell me what I should be consuming. And so in a data mesh world, can we get to that? I think we can. I think Jumak has really relaxed a lot of her constraints from her early thinking around, can you put these like kind of combined queries as just not necessarily even a full data product versus it is kind of a data product. It's a data product light or whatever of like, hey, we see this query constantly. So let's do this. It's kind of one as Rosier has talked about it kind of being a data application of like, there's some use of data that is outside of the mesh and we put that on the mesh. Right. And so there's, there's just like, but, but I agree that it's, it's not pre-baked and everybody has to figure it out for themselves. But kind of so like that's kind of your job it's not that it's you have to figure out relative to your organization wait you're telling me data mesh isn't a magic bullet um 
Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's very fair and very valid. And, um, uh, you know, I I think I think it can work out. I think we can make this all make sense. And, and I like the idea that um, while all your data may be part of a domain, not all of it is a data product and that there are different levels of data product. Right. There are the things that you are really trying to build strong constraints and SLAs and expectations around. And there are things that really need to be thought of like a product. There needs to be reusability, be visibility around it. There needs to be, um, you know, the the right contacts, whether directly or indirectly sort of owning uh, those products that you can reach out to to understand what they are. You should be collecting that meaning and documenting it and sharing it. Um, but, um, but you don't have to, not all data products have to be perfect and not all of them have to be, you know, broadly applicable to the widest set of use cases. It can be a query that somebody wrote that, you know, maybe other people can benefit from, put that out there. And that's the kind of stuff you can build upon. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think there's, uh, Emily Gorsinski's episode, which is, is coming up in, in, uh, a month or so. Um, she talked a lot about that. We talked about fit for purpose data product, right? Like there, there are certain data products. Uh, Justin Cunningham also kind of talked about this concept of just getting data out there and then people can see, okay, what is this? And then they can go back to the owner and go, okay, I want this in an actual quality way, right? Like that so much of, of what's happened with the enterprise data warehouse is you have to really get it right up front. And we don't have iterative processes in data. So you tell people that it's like, we'll figure it out along the way. We've seen that just not work. And so it is in a, in a way where if you're sharing data in an effective way as an owner, great. And, and you're going to add value. And then you can figure out how it interoperates. And you can figure out how to do that. You don't have to answer everything up front. But that's always led to disaster historically, right? We're, we're building the modern data stack. People are building stuff on quicksand. And so that quicksand keeps falling underneath it and their, their data, you know, stack applications just keep breaking. And so like, yes, we need some intentionality. We need to think through this, but we also need to be like, hey, let's, let's actually have the conversations instead of I put it out and you either consume it or you don't. It's like, oh, we need to find the consumers. We need to have those conversations. Yeah, there, there's actually collaboration that needs to happen here. I think that, that's like sort of like, a, you know, if you want to take it to an extreme, that's like data as product thinking gone wrong, where it's like build it and they will come uh, and build it once and forget it. Right. That's not the way it's supposed to be. I, I think I, I quoted or I, I posted on a Bill Schmarzo post or something. And I, I mentioned that's the data field of dreams. Right. Like exactly what you just said. It is the data field of dreams is that I have and, I, and you know, I will build it and they will come and it will be um, amazing instead of like, no, like just talk to people, have that conversation. So right. what, what problems are people trying to solve? Right. <laughs> what, what are the business questions? So I think that's the I think that's a good uh, summation. I think the the data silos one is the other one that people always bring up. And it's like, yeah, you're, you're going to start out with data silos because you don't want to create all your standards up front. But eh, like you're 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 in a better spot with data silos that are high quality data to start with and with an idea to iterate. 
that you're going to get towards interoperability when you find those good points of interoperability and that you set yourself up and you look for interoperability, you look for reuse. Everything should be reuse, like reuse of data, but reuse of, of templates, reuse of processes, reuse of everything. Everything about data mesh should be looking for those. And that you, so you can have that, you know, the micro value of the data product versus the macro value at the data mesh. But like, we need that macro value to start, like the, the incremental value of each data product is more about not the data product value itself, but its greater part in the data mesh. But that's once you're to 50, 75, 100 products and, and you can evolve, like these things don't have to lock in. So yeah, a lot of exactly what you've said. Um, so uh, is, is there anything else on the skeptic side or did you want to jump into your, your fun framework of ABCDE? <laughs> the the data product ABCs. Um, no, I think, um, I, I mean, this has been a great conversation about some of these skeptical points. And uh, I, I think one, one last comment I'll make before we kind of transition just to zoom out is that like, when you talk about things like silos, like you just mentioned, and we talked about, you know, uh, you know, uh, sort of whether you're too small or, you know, your perspective on ownership of the data, like a lot of these things may have to do with culture, culture in our organization. And are people in your organization um, sort of uh, really complaining about and, and bringing up skeptical points of view that are, are valid and need to be worked through? Or is this just challenging because it's a different perspective or you've you've already had a siloed culture? And so when you look at something new like this, you say, oh, this is going to just perpetuate these silos or deepen these silos. Um, and of course, culture is hard to change. It's hard to fix. But I think that's that's an important aspect of this as well. And one of the reasons why I'm a big fan ultimately of Data Mesh is because I think it provides us a lens and a framework by which to look at our data culture, bring some new concepts in that break our our frame a little bit and say, hmm, what if what if we addressed product, you know, uh, data a little bit more like a product? What if we thought of this as a spectrum between sort of centralization and decentralization? What, where are we on that spectrum? What makes sense for us? you know, do we feel like we have standards? Do we feel like we have interoperability? Um, are, you know, how important are those? Are those the most important things for our organization right now? Or, or maybe they're not. Um, this, these questions are important and evolving our culture is probably ultimately one of the deepest and most important things we have to do to not just address the skeptical points of view, but really take the, the right path forward. Yeah. And, and I think people want answers instead of questions to answer. And that's that's the other frustration is that in data, people have just been sold, we will solve it. And so the, when people go, but here's here's your homework to go do, it, it does frustrate people. And and you know, and you look at some of the the pushback, a lot of the the pushback is also from people that are um kind of uh, I don't remember the economically captured or whatever, like they're, mm -hmm. they, their bread is buttered by vendors that are against this. Right. And so you look at, um, you know, I think Bill Inman just posted something about, and, and he was just saying, oh yeah, you know, data mesh, you just push the ownership up and it doesn't matter about the silos and blah, blah, you know, he's being somewhat facetious, but it's like, some of it is, is, is this actually how you think? Is it just that it's change or is it that your bread is buttered somewhere else? Like part of the reason why people view me as, as complete chaos is that 
my you know Datastax doesn't really care about me trying to push anything direct to Datastax from this, right? This is this is all learning information. So I get to be chaos and just push like what I think is actually good for people. And I don't have that, you know, that buttered bread kind of challenge. <laughs> Everything's got to fit into this box kind of thing, right? <laughs> right. And so, you know, you kind of have to look at, are, are those skeptics uh, really skeptical or are they just like, this threatens my lay, my way of living, my <laughs> My and and you know that's a valid pushback. Like it's exactly what you talk about with culture too. Of do, yeah. does this threaten my job? Right. If if I've just been a report consumer and now I have to be an active, you know, data consumer and figure out what I want to consume and why, my world has changed. That's that's frightening to me. So like, how do we get people along that path? Is, right. is difficult. Well, and you know, I'm I'm actually glad and excited about all the skepticism that we have. Uh, you know, not just about data mesh, but really about anything. I mean, you can bring up data fabric, you can bring out any of these concepts of people like, ah, oh, data fabric, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, and some, obviously there's proponents for these, but there's a lot of skepticism as well. And I think that's a beautiful thing because we're actually having a more critical conversation in the data space right now. I, I think we've all been a little bit, you know, I, I connect it back to the big data movement. Like, I think we all got burned a little bit by being like, ah, Hadoop's the savior. And like, uh, if we just put everything in the big data hub, it's going to solve all problems and we'll do predictive analytics and we'll solve world peace. Right. Uh, and the truth well, now looking looking back, it's like, well, duh. Uh, but like the truth was that didn't happen. Right. Uh, big data is a piece of a much, much larger and more complicated uh, pie. Right. And um and that's good that we're having this critical conversation. We're going to come out better for it. And I think we're going to really start to embrace what you mentioned, this idea that like we do have to think about this more up front. We have to we have to design the future we want to live in. And it needs to be flexible. It needs to be adaptable. It needs to be resilient. It can't just be, you know, let me slap these four modern data tools together and, you know, voila, I'm done. Um, that's uh, it, it's a journey, not a destination. Yeah, exactly. Um, sorry, I'm just writing down the, I only got down reliable, resilient, flexible, but I think you, you, you threw one other superlative in there, but I, I fully agree, right? Like yeah. we, we have to, we, we've had too much locking into this is the way that we're going to do it. And we've made our decision and, and that versus like, we need to set ourselves up that we measure and change, right? Like it, we, we've kind of had the, okay, we're going to measure twice, cut once, and it's done. And it's like, but this is, is changing and evolving. You, you, it's not that, you know, the thing that you created um, even six months ago is necessarily the right thing, right? It, oh, this report hasn't changed in five years. Major red flag, right? Like, is it still even measuring anything that's important? Right. right. Yeah. D- data is not a house that we're building. It's it's more like a garden, right? You're planting things, but seasons change. Problems occur. The dirt is good one year. It's not the next year. And you can't be expecting that you're going to measure twice and cut once. It's it's a process. It's a it, it, it's a it's a pro- it's a process. It's a journey. And and you need to keep like you need to keep working on it. Right. You need to keep pruning. You need to keep weeding. You need to keep doing that. I like that analogy yeah. a lot. I think I think you should write a, a thing on that or you should do like a little post on data as a garden instead of as, as a house. So. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love that analogy. And it actually came up uh, with our guest earlier this week on Catalog and Cocktails. So I, I, I got to credit that in terms of where it came from. But I, I love that analogy, <laughs> too. Yeah. 
So, um, so we've, I want to be cognizant of time because I know you got to hop here in a bit, but, um, so let, let's go, you know, I, I would love to give more time to this framework because I think it's a really good one, but let's, let's go through your, your, your framework, uh, kind of at the high level. And, and I might poke at a couple of questions here. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. So, I mean, it, it goes really back to a comment that you made earlier about like, you know, having all the answers versus having the right questions. Um, and uh, we've been asking ourselves like, okay, well, you know, data mesh, like obviously there's a lot of excitement and interest in that. Uh, there's a lot of skepticism as well. Um, you know, what is a good perspective on this that isn't trying to feed you all the answers? It's trying to help you ask the right questions. Um, and really get people into a frame of mind of thinking about their data like a product or what do they need to solve in order to treat their data more like a product. Um, and so this, uh, this framework is called the Data Product ABCs. Um, and it's a little uh, quirky. And, and actually, Scott and I were joking uh, in one of our prep sessions about uh, maybe there should be like a kid's book. Like the, where it's like <laughs> A, B, C, D, and each one of them has like a, a funny, you know, either sarcastic or, or fun term about, you know, either data mesh or just the data space in general. Um, so I think, I think we should get on that. We should, we should loop in a designer and build this, this kid's book. I think that would be a lot of fun. Pass them out at conferences. Um, but um, the data product ABCs um, basically has A, B, C, D, E. Uh, and A is, first of all, accountability. So that's like, who, who's the owner of the data? Um, who, who defines the requirements of this data product? Um, who fixes the data product when it breaks? So thinking about like, who, who's the technical owner? Who's the business owner? Who's thinking about the roadmap of that given product? Um, B is for boundaries. So, you know, every product, uh, and this really comes more from my background as a product manager, product products aren't just about what it is, it's about what it isn't, right? What is this product, you know, what is it and what is it not trying to be? And what are its interfaces, right? What is the box that you draw around this particular product? What are the things that go into it? What are the things that come out of it? What are not the things that come in and out of it, right? Like, for example, if you have an API product, you're not expecting to work with that API product in the same ways that you're working with a product that lives in your data warehouse, or your data lake. And that's okay. Embrace that. Be specific about it. So B is all about boundaries. Um, C is contracts. So, you know, different data products have different contracts and expectations around them. You know, is there an SLA around this? Is there a performance characteristic that you're guaranteeing around this product? Is there a certain security stance that you have around this particular product around sort of like how it's going to be stored? Who's going to use it? These are all contracts. And sometimes uh, data products are going to have looser contracts. Sometimes they're going to have stricter contracts. And that's up to you as an organization in terms of how you manage your governance, how you own and, and manage your data products. Uh, D stands for downstream, downstream consumers. So, you know, who's going to use this? Who uses it today? Who might use this? What are the use cases that have been considered for this? Um, what's the roadmap for this? Like, are you planning to handle more road, you know, more use cases in the future? Uh, and then finally, E, uh, it actually used to be K, uh, but ABCDK felt kind of weird. <laughs> so we were like, okay, well, it's E. And E stands for explicit knowledge. Uh, and explicit knowledge is uh, really like, what is the meaning of this data product and the things within it? What is the schema of this data product? How does it relate? Like, what are the relationships between this data product and other data or other data products? Um, and like, 
provide the documentation around it, right? We, I, I think one thing that we see is so valuable if, you know, you can establish it within your culture is more of a culture, not of knowledge stuck in people's heads, but knowledge put down on paper, put into systems, institutionalized, right? I'm, I'm going to guess that that was Juan that was jumping up and down and saying, we must include this one. We must include this because he's got the whole knowledge first thing. Of <laughs> That was a good that was a good conclusion there. Yes, uh, definitely. <laughs> the knowledge piece came came from Juan and, and, and that that fits into this whole thing of like, OK, so so you've got the ownership, you've got the contracts, the boundaries, the downstream consumers of this. And ultimately, you want it to be steeped in in knowledge, take a knowledge first approach. Well, and I think that explicit word actually hits almost every single thing that that you actually mentioned, right? Like I know you you did it so that it wouldn't be A B C D K, but <laughs> explicit, you know, explicit accountability, explicit boundaries, explicit contracts, explicit like thinking about. I guess maybe not explicit downstream because the downstream is a little bit like of uh, uh, more open ended, but like so much of, of what I'm finding is that people need to actually have these conversations. So much is implied when it comes to data of, you know, like I had uh, Abe Gong on talking about great expectations and they talked about kind of defensive data contract creation uh, using great expectations to say, I expect that this data that I'm consuming from is going to be in this format in this way. And, you know, and it's going to meet these kind of different SLAs and things like that. Inform me when it doesn't happen. And then once that contract is broken, then those consumers go to the producers and start to negotiate an actual explicit contract. And it's like, stop doing the implicit, jump to the explicit, have the conversation, the the number of people that I have who I just say, well, just set up some time with me to do a call and nobody does. I'm worried about their implementation. I'm worried about your implementation if you're not willing to have a call. I don't have anything to sell you. So what what's the 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 drawback of having a call with me? Like the if you're unwilling to get into again that culture of like let's actually get in the room and exchange our our um context. Exchange what we're thinking and so that there's no more of this implicit BS, right? I I think that's so important. That that's so important what you're saying here, like because I I think this might even be like if you could if you could define the central struggle of data organizations and what they're dealing with for decades, but certainly also today, right? It's that so much is implied in the work that they do and the and the things that they produce, and that's why you've got data engineers waking up at three a.m. on Sunday morning because there was an implication that something was going to work a certain way and it no longer works that way, and somebody's pissed off downstream, right? Um, and so, how do we avoid that? You have to get explicit, and and maybe that's something that we can really draw from the world of software, right? I mean, there's a lot of these analogies that we're pulling from the software world and trying to apply it to the data world. This is an important one, which is like, in, in, in the software world, you have an API, that API is going to provide that certain payload, and it's going to do it in a certain amount of time, and it's going to be across a certain protocol. That's very explicit, right? And we need yeah. to get explicit with our data too. Yeah, yeah. Emily Gorsinski's episode on like SLAs and SLOs and, and uh, you know, kind of talking about resilience engineering, like nothing in data is resilient. Nothing is set up to be resilient. Like everything is one off. Everything is about this specific use case. So there's not even reuse. And then everything is like, okay, well, we just thought it was this way. And it was like, well, 
okay, when it, something doesn't meet your expectations, you throw a ticket to the data engineering team and then that data engineering team goes to the data production team and you're playing telephone back and forth. Get in the room, have the conversation, do it with high empathy, you know, that you're not, this is not combative, this is cooperative, right? This is co-op. Like you're, you're, you're in two player mode in your video game, you're in co-op mode. Like the, the goal is to get to that data informed decision-making and the right decisions and all that. So, right. You should be shaking hands at the end. You should document it and know that you're going to come back to it at some point because meaning changes. Oh yeah. And, and when that meaning has changed, make the explicit call out that explicit reset, you know, reach out. If you see something, say something, something has changed. Who do I know that's consuming this that would want to know that? It might be a new feature, but it might be, hey, this this concept doesn't really make sense anymore. Like, let's reevaluate this. Let's have that conversation. And consumers have to be flexible and not locking in to what they're what what they're consuming as well. So it's but it's again that that culture. That's a difference in the way that people have done data. Right. We, we, we need it. It hasn't been working for for a long time. And it's especially not working now. It's it's accelerating. It's not workingness. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> well, if we're approaching, you know, new architectures with the same sort of roles and perspectives and biases that we had before, we're just going to repeat history in new and creative ways, but it'll result in the same ultimate problems. And so we got to we got to break through that and we got to be willing to build more of a resilient approach to data that we know can adapt and be flexible as we go forward here. We're throwing band-aids over things that that's not going <laughs> to, it's not going to fix. I don't want to get into gross analogies around the wounds or anything like that. But um, So, well, Tim, this has been awesome. Really, really appreciate the time. And I think the perspective is very helpful for a lot of people, including, you know, people that are running across skeptics internally. I think, addressing skeptics as like, what are you really afraid of is, is, is important and it's valid and it's okay to have those conversations. It's not that data mesh solves everything for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think you need to come away thinking, uh, oh, we need to adopt a data mesh. Like, I I don't, I, I don't think that that's the answer here necessarily. I mean, it might be, but the answer can just be like, let's look at data mesh. Let's understand it. Let's see what's valuable here. And let's build the things into our data roadmap that makes sense for us. And that, that it is evolution. It's not revolution. It's not you, you decide you're going to go down this data mesh journey and everything has changed the next day. No, like you're, you're figuring out how to do it. You're figuring you're, you're finding your reuse. You're making it better. You're, you're evolving and, and adapting. So That's a feature, um, not a bug. Yeah. So uh, where if people want to follow up with you, where's the best place and what, what do you want people following up with you about? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, first of all, uh, check out uh, Juan Cicada and I's podcast, Catalog and Cocktails. You can find us on all the main podcast uh, platforms as well as social platforms. We broadcast every Wednesday. So uh, check that out. And uh, if you're interested to learn more about like the data product ABCs, um, we have a lot of cool materials over on the data.world blog. So uh, that's another great place to, to learn about the data ABCs. You can find me on Twitter at Tim Gasper. Shoot me a note anytime and would love to continue the conversation around data mesh. Yeah, and, and as always, I'll drop links to that in the in the show notes just so that people can jump to things very easily. But uh, well, Tim, again, this has been 
so helpful, I think, to a lot of people. And I think it's it's just been a fun conversation on my end as well. So hopefully the same for you. Absolutely. I mean, it's fun to, to look at these different perspectives. And Scott, your show's awesome. Really love it. Uh, really excited that I could be on the show and uh, uh, looking forward to hear the the sort of the communication and the uh, and the, and the, uh, the community chatter that comes out of this. So yeah, same, same here. And, and yeah, I mean, I've got my my two uh, kind of favorite uh, data related podcasts right now are Catalog and Cocktails and the Data Engineering Podcast. So I, I do recommend people checking it out. It's, and, it's, and it's a little bit more of a uh, not not quite uh, crap talking, but it is a little bit more free flowing, and uh, you know Juan likes to to kind of go for a little bit of controversy as well. I think I yeah, think you got to be a good straight man to him. You got to be okay with uh, a couple of rants, um, uh, definitely a lot of cocktail action, and overall lots of good, honest, no BS, non salesy talk about enterprise data. Yeah. Uh, well, I, th- I think wasn't uh, Jamax uh, drink mushroom coffee or something like that? Was that hers? <laughs> yeah. Juan and I were like, what? Oh, interesting. Well, you know, what's troubling or difficult is that like for a lot of folks like on the West Coast and stuff like that, we always record at 4 p.m. on Wednesdays. And so, um, you know, people don't always want to have a cocktail at two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. So, you know, they're going to bring their coffee. They're going to bring their mushroom uh, mixes, you know, that sort of thing. So. <laughs> Well, again, Tim, this has been awesome. And and so thanks so much for the time. And and thank you, everybody, for listening. Absolutely. Thanks, Scott, for having me on. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Tim Gasper, the VP of Product at Data.World, as well as the co-host of the Catalog and Cocktails podcast. You can find links to Tim's Twitter, as well as some links to the content that we had mentioned in the show, including the podcast and the ABCs of Data Products Framework in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left DataStacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.